ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so in the hadith that we've reached now it mentions Aisha radiyallahu anha says kana an-nabiy kana an-nabiy sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha arada an ya'takifa salla al-fajr thumma dakhala mu'takafahu that if the Prophet or when the Prophet ﷺ wanted to do i'tikaf, he would pray fajr and then enter into his area for i'tikaf. Previously we've come across the narrations talking about i'tikaf and that the Prophet ﷺ used to do i'tikaf initially in the middle 10 days of Ramadan. And then when it was known that Laylatul Qadr is most likely in the last 10 days, last 10 nights, then the Prophet ﷺ changed his i'tikaf from the middle 10 to the last 10. And in this narration, it tells us regarding the exact time you start your i'tikaf. When exactly do you go into the mosque and begin the i'tikaf? In this narration it says that the Prophet ﷺ used to begin after Fajr. That he would begin after Fajr. هذا فيه دليل على أن الاعتكاف يبدأ من أول النهار فإنه كان يبدأه بعد صلاة الفجر يعني من أول النهار هذه هي السنة ولو بدأه من غير أول النهار من وسط النهار أو من آخر النهار أو بدأ من الليل جاس لكن الأفضل أن يبدأه من أول النهار كما كان يستسلم يبدأه من بعد صلاة الفجر So the narration indicates that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to begin the i'tikaf at the beginning of the day used to begin the i'tikaf at the beginning of the day after the fajr prayer The question then is what day is that? What day after Fajr, does a person go in and start the i'tikaf then? There are three opinions mentioned by the scholars. Three opinions as to when you should start the i'tikaf, meaning if you want to do all ten. Obviously we know it's not an obligation to do all ten days. Whatever amount of days you're able to do, if it's five days, seven days, nine days, two days, one day, half a day, whatever you're able to do, it is permissible. It's not an obligation. It's not an obligation that you have to do all ten, and if you can't do all ten, then you're not allowed to do it. That's not how it is. If you can't do all ten and you can do less than that, then you're allowed to do whatever amount you're able to do. But if you do want to do all ten, then when does it start exactly? When are you supposed to be in the mosque, beginning your i'tikaf, if you want to do all last ten? 
after Maghrib on what day? So the majority of the scholars, they say that a person who wishes to get all of the last ten in must be in the mosque before Maghrib on the 20th day of Ramadan. On the 20th day of Ramadan, a person must be in the mosque before Maghrib. Today is the 7th day of Ramadan. 7th day of Ramadan today. Which makes the 20th day of Ramadan not next Saturday, the Saturday after. Next Sunday will be the 14th day of Ramadan. The Sunday after is going to be 21st, so the Saturday. Two weeks approximately yet. Saturday the twentieth, uh, 25th of May is therefore going to end up as the 20th of Ramadan. So on Saturday the 25th of May for us here in the UK and those who began uh, on the 6th of May, then on the 25th of May, that would be the 20th day of Ramadan, on that day before Maghrib, you would have to be in the mosque ready to begin. That is the first opinion. The second opinion, uh, opinion of Sufyan al-Thawri, Layth ibn Sa'ad, etc., that it begins on the Fajr of the 21st day, which is 26th of May, Sunday, in two weeks' time. On a Sunday after Fajr, the 21st of Ramadan, then on that day, you would go into the mosque at Fajr time and begin. You don't have to go in the night before at Maghrib, according to this opinion. The third opinion, that it begins on Fajr as well, but not on the 21st day, but actually on the 20th day. On the 20th day of Ramadan at Fajr, from Fajr on the 20th day, you got to be in there. So on the 19th day of Ramadan, when that's done, in the evening, you open your fast, you pray your taraweeh, etc. Then that fajr coming up, from that fajr coming up, then you're going to be in there, ready to begin your i'tikaf. So three main opinions. But the majority of them, they say, you have to be in there, if you want to do all ten, on the 20th day before Maghrib. Before Maghrib on the 20th day. Because the 20th day... Once Maghrib comes in, you are now into the night of 21st. Which means you'll catch the night of the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. Ten nights. If the moon, of course, is spotted on 29th, then it's nine. But assuming it all goes to the end, that's your ten nights then. Catching it from the 21st night till the end. So the majority say on the 20th day before Maghrib you should go in. So what does this narration mean then? That the Prophet ﷺ used to go in after Fajr. You can see why some of the scholars hold the opinion that it begins at Fajr time. Because this narration says the Prophet ﷺ prayed Fajr, then went to his i'tikaf bit, his area where he was going to do his i'tikaf. The scholars, the majority, who say actually you're supposed to go in the night before at Maghrib, they say this narration doesn't contradict that. They say actually what happened was that the Prophet ﷺ had his i'tikaf area in the mosque. He went in at Maghrib the night before, prayed his Maghrib, iftar, everything. 
and just stayed there, the first row, whatever, just stayed there, prayed the Isha, prayed the Taraweeh, carried on sitting there, around there, doing Qur'an, everything else, prayed Fajr, only after praying Fajr was the first time he actually went into his I'tikaf area. But the night before at Maghrib, he was in the mosque, prayed Maghrib, iftar, stayed there, Quran, etc., Isha, Taraweeh, stayed there afterwards, Quran, whatever, Fajr prayer. Then after the Fajr, he finally went into his I'tikaf sectioned off area. So they say this narration, that's all it means. That after Fajr is when he went into his sectioned area, but he was in the mosque having begun his I'tikaf from Maghrib the night before. That's how they explain it. Others, they say, no, it's not like that. It's simply that he began at Fajr. He began at Fajr the next day. That is the opinion of the other scholars. Then also in this narration of Aisha radiallahu anha, قالت, إن كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يدخل علي رأسه وهو في المسجد فأرجله وكان لا يدخل البيت إلا لحاجة إذا كان معتكفا متفق عليه واللفظ للبخاري. She says that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to enter his head into the house basically because the mosque of the Prophet al-Masjid al-Nabawi right next door attached via the wall next door attached to it was the house of Aisha radiallahu anha attached via the wall meaning a window in the wall and through that window it's the masjid of the Prophet through this side it's the house of Aisha so it mentions that the Prophet who was in the masjid would put his head through that opening, that, that window, that door, through that. So now the head is into the area where Aisha anha is in her home. And that she would then comb his hair, etc. And then he would go back in again. So he wouldn't exit the mosque and come into the house. But he would just be there like at the window or something like that, connecting to the house and she would comb his hair and then he would go back in again. The point of this is, she mentions, she mentions, كَانَ لَا يَدْخُلُ الْبَيْتَ إِلَّا لِحَاجَةً He would not come into the actual house unless there was some necessity or need. And this is the ruling for i'tikaf. A person who makes the intention for i'tikaf, then it's not permissible to exit from the mosque. You make the intention for i'tikaf, then you are supposed to remain in the masjid, stay in the masjid. Not permissible to then leave and go out and do what you want to come back again as you will. You're not supposed to go in and out as you wish. You remain in the mosque. The only reason why you're allowed to leave, if you've made the intention for itikaf, the only reason you're allowed to leave is if there is some necessity. So for example, that masjid you're doing your itikaf in doesn't have the wudu and the toilet facilities within the building. Most Arab mosques in Arab countries, that's how it is, the, the toilet facilities are not within the complex of the mosque as they are in Western countries. It's a separate outbuilding. The wudu area, the toilet area is a separate outbuilding, not connected to the mosque often. So in that case, if somebody's doing a tikaf and they need to make wudu, they need to go to the toilet, you'll have to exit the mosque and go to the outbuilding on the other side of the courtyard, <laughs> on the other side of the courtyard to do your wudu, to do your ghusl, to use the toilet and then come back in again. 
So that would be classed as a necessity. For example, if a person was upon janaba, janaba occurred for example, you need to make the ghusl. There may not be ghusl facilities in the masjid, shower facilities in the masjid. So you have to go out to your house or wherever it may be to make the ghusl and then you come back again. So these are various uh, situations where you may have to leave. It could even be, even though rare, but let's say for the sake of the argument, you're doing your takaf and you got nobody uh, organized, you got nobody you know who can arrange to bring you some food for the suhoor next morning. And you get stuck. So you have to go out to your house or to the shop or something quickly to get some food. Permissible. If you're stuck like that, there's a necessity, then it's allowed to leave. But outside of necessity, it is not permissible to exit from the mosque. You can't do i'tikaf and then say, but every iftar time it's going to pop around the corner to my house and eat and come back. At suhoor time it's going to pop out at home to eat and come back and carry on. That's not i'tikaf like that. I'tikaf, you stay in the masjid. Can't go out and pop out for food and this and that and everything every, every day. So that is the point here. She says the Prophet ﷺ never used to come out into the house. Never used to come out into the house. Only if there was some necessity where there was no option, then he would come. Otherwise, you stay in the masjid, remain there, do your worship, do your recitation, etc. Then he mentions in this narration, As-Sunnatu ala al-Mu'takifi Alla ya'ud maridan wa la yashhada janazatan wa la yamassa maratan ولا يباشرها ولا يخرج لحاجة إلا لما لا بد له منه ولا اعتكاف إلا بسوم ولا اعتكاف إلا في مسجد جامع. that the sunnah for somebody doing i'tikaf is that they are not allowed to go and visit the ill. normally when somebody is ill it's sunnah to go and visit them. but if you've made the intention for i'tikaf and you're in i'tikaf it's not permissible to leave the mosque and go visit somebody who you've heard has become ill. You're in i'tikaf, you have to stay in the mosque. Similarly, la yashhadu janazatan. Imagine in the mosque there's a janazah prayer. Of course you can attend the janazah prayer, pray the janazah prayer, but then afterwards they're going to take the body, go to the graveyard and bury it, and there's reward for going with the funeral procession. There's reward for doing that. But when you're in i'tikaf, not permissible for you to go out and do the burial and go to the graveyard and everything. You're in i'tikaf, not allowed to leave and go out for that reason either. So the hadith says you can't go out to visit somebody who's ill, you can't go out to the funeral procession, to the graveyards. Uh, and also, وَلَا يَمَسَّ وَلَا It is not permissible uh, for any type of intimacy. A person cannot engage in any type of intimacy if he's in i'tikaf. That is not permissible. And وَلَا يَخْرُجُ لِحَاجَ إِلَّا لِمَا لَا بُدَّ لَهُ مِنْهُ And you can't go out for any need, even a need, unless there is a necessity for it. There's an absolute necessity, there's no way out, then okay, you got to go out and you got to do what you have to do. Then he says, وَلَا اَعْتِكَافَ إِلَّا بِسَوْمِ وَلَا اَعْتِكَافَ إِلَّا فِي مَسْجِدٍ جَامِعٍ That there is no اعتكاف except that you are fasting. You have to be fasting to do i'tikaf, this hadith says. But when you look into that topic and that issue, what the scholars have mentioned and the evidences, this narration, they say that section isn't from the Prophet 
And overall, the conclusion that the scholars mention is that i'tikaf, it's not a condition that you have to be fasting to do i'tikaf. So maybe, for example, somebody has some type of illness which prevents them from fasting. Maybe they have some illness, doctors told them you've got to take this medicine six times a day. So because of that, they're swallowing these pills, they can't fast. But physically, otherwise, they're reasonably okay. They're good enough to go to the mosque and do i'tikaf, but they just can't fast because of this medication or whatever else they have to take. So now they're not going to be fasting, but can they go and do their i'tikaf? Yes, they can. A person who can't fast for whatever reason isn't fasting can still do their i'tikaf. If they got some legitimate reason not to be fasting, it doesn't mean they can't do i'tikaf. They can still go and do i'tikaf. Also it mentions, وَلَا اَعْتِكَافَ إِلَّا فِي مَسْجِدٍ جَامِعٍ But you cannot do i'tikaf unless it is in a, a mosque that has all of the obligations being performed in it in terms of the prayers. All five prayers have to be established in that mosque and the Jumu'ah prayer has to be established in that mosque. Sometimes you get some of these mosques, like university mosques and things. Nobody comes for Fajr in the summer. Maybe not even stay till Isha at 11 o'clock at night. They just pray their three prayers during the day when the students are there. You wouldn't be allowed to do i'tikaf uh, in a place like that. It's not, prayers aren't being established, all five prayers, etc. So you can't do it in a mosque like that. It has to be a fully established mosque where all five prayers are being prayed every day. And the Jumu'ah prayer gets done in it. Because sometimes you get mosques, they have the five obligatory prayers every day, but no Jumu'ah. That's common in Arab countries, because in Arab countries, for example, you have mosques on every corner. Every two streets there's a mosque. So within that one mile radius, there could be a whole bunch of mosques. Everybody in their own little two or three streets worth, they pray in their mosque. But not all of those mosques do the Jumu'ah. In that one, two mile radius, one mile radius, whatever it is, just the biggest mosque in that area will do the Jumu'ah. So everybody from all those small mosques, they come to the big one for Jumu'ah. Rest of the week, they can stay in their area wherever they are, two streets down there, five streets down there. They pray in their local little corner mosque. But Jumu'ah, all those small ones, none of them do Jumu'ah. Just the big one, everybody comes to the big one for Jumu'ah every week. So what this hadith is saying is those smaller types of mosques where maybe they don't establish the Jumu'ah prayer, you can't do i'tikaf in those ones. has to be in the bigger mosque where the Jumu'ah is being done as well. And it's obvious why, because if you're in a mosque where Jumu'ah isn't being done, then when it comes to Friday, it means you're going to have to leave the mosque, and you're not supposed to leave the mosque. So you have to do i'tikaf in a mosque where all of the uh, obligations of the prayers are being established, and the Jumu'ah is being established. <coughs> Then عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ليس على المعتكف صيام إلا أن يجعله على نفسه And this is the hadith which also backs up the point that you don't have to be fasting to be able to do i'tikaf. This narration even though it's mentioned it's the statement of ابن عباس that it says a person who's doing i'tikaf, there is no fasting upon him unless he makes it upon himself. There is no fasting upon him unless he makes it upon himself. Maybe, for example, somebody vowed to fast 
outside of Ramadan if you did some i'tikaf or you vowed to do some i'tikaf. But the point being, it's not a condition that you have to be fasting to be able to do i'tikaf. That's the point. It's not a condition that you have to be fasting to be able to do i'tikaf. It is superior and there is greater reward, of course, somebody who's fasting to do i'tikaf. But if you're not fasting for some legitimate reason, you can still do i'tikaf and there is still reward in it for that. Then after that, عن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن رجالا من أصحاب النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أروا ليلة القدر في المنام في السبع الأواخر فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أرى رؤياكم قد تواطأت في السبع الأواخر فمن كان متحريا فليتحريها في السبع الأواخر This hadith is now talking about ليلة القدر and it says that a group of men from the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they had a dream about when Laylatul Qadr is. And they saw in their dream that it's in the final seven nights. In the final seven nights of Ramadan. So the Messenger ﷺ said, I see that all of you have had the same dream. It's unified. All of you have had the same vision. So in that case, whoever is going to try and find Laylatul Qadr, strive for it in the final seven nights. This is just one of the narrations. With Laylatul Qadr, there are multiple narrations. You could say in the widest, widest, broadest opinion, or statement of some of the scholars that Laylatul Qadr can be when? In the broadest possible sense. Statement mentioned by some scholars. Broader than that. Broadest statement that has been mentioned is that Laylatul Qadr can technically could be anywhere in the year. Obviously that's just a statement mentioned. Then, of course, it could be anywhere in Ramadan. Getting a bit tighter now. Anywhere in Ramadan. Then restricting it even more, anywhere in the last ten. Restricting it even more, anywhere in the odd last ten. Restricting it even more, maybe narrations like this, in the seven, last seven. Other narrations about 21st, about 23rd, about 27th, obviously. All these different narrations then restricted even more. But the basic overall point is, the most likely time is the last ten nights. It's the last odd ten nights. And then you have many narrations about 23rd and 27th, and narrations about particular days as well. So, مِمَّا خَصَّ اللَّهُ بِهِ شَهْرَ رَمَضَانَ الْمُبَارَكَ وَجُودَ لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ فِيهِ one of the things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has specified for this month is the night of Qadr, Laylatul Qadr. فَلَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ هِيَ فِي شَهْرِ رَمَضَانِ And Laylatul Qadr is in the month of Ramadan. Uh, and one of the evidences to indicate that it's in the month of Ramadan, somewhere, anywhere, is the Qur'an where it says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ 
Shahrul Ramadan, the month of Ramadan, when the Qur'an was revealed. Meaning the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an occurred in Ramadan. And in another ayah it says, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ That the Qur'an it was revealed on Laylatul Qadr. So when you put the two ayahs together, one ayah telling you the Qur'an was revealed in Laylatul Qadr, the other ayah telling you that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan, the two of them put together equals that Laylatul Qadr must therefore be in Ramadan. Qur'an was revealed in Laylatul Qadr. Qur'an was revealed in Ramadan. Therefore it follows that Laylatul Qadr must be in Ramadan. So that is uh, one of the evidences to indicate that Laylatul Qadr is in Ramadan. Why is it being named as Laylatul Qadr? One of the meanings of the word Qadr in Arabic is station, status, nobility. And that's obvious because of the great station, nobility of this night, the great virtue of this night. Another meaning of Qadr is decree. And that is the night where it's mentioned how the decree of the year is written on, uh, or prescribed for that year in that night. Of course, from the overall decree in the preserved tablet. So, that is Laylatul Qadr. And it's also mentioned about Laylatul Qadr, the amount of reward that a person can gain in Laylatul Qadr. And it mentions that it's greater than a thousand months worth a thousand months worth Laylatul Qadr Khayrun min alfi shahr And a, a thousand months A thousand months worth Then it is approximately 83 years There or thereabouts Around the figure of 83 years plus A thousand months So it is a lifetime of worship on that one night a lifetime of worship in that one night for the person who catches it. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim, he said, if we had been told that Laylatul Qadr is just a night anywhere in the year, if that's what we had been told, Laylatul Qadr is just a night anywhere in the year, he said, I would make sure I'm praying, standing in prayer every single night of the year. I would make sure I am in prayer, awake every night of the year in, in worship if we were told that Laylatul Qadr can be anywhere in the year. But of course we know uh, it is most likely in the last 10 of Ramadan. But for a person to ensure that he catches it, then he should pray every night of Ramadan and make sure that he prays every night of Ramadan. وَهَذِهِ اللَّيْلَةِ العظيمة التي هذه أوصافها هي في شهر رمضان لكن في أي ليلة So when exactly is it in Ramadan? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hidden the precise timing of it in Ramadan from us so that the Muslims they strive throughout Ramadan if we knew exactly when it is there was a narration telling us Laylatul Qadr is X, Y, and Z night then people, Muslims would relax most of the month and do a little bit and pray and Quran but then they just save it all and just do everything on that one night everybody would strive to the maximum they can on that one night and the rest of Ramadan they'd relax then they wouldn't really push themselves 
But now that it's hidden from us, it means you have to constantly be pushing yourself throughout the month. You have to constantly be pushing yourself throughout the month so that you can ensure that you catch Laylatul Qadr. So, لِأَجْلِ أَنْ يَشْتَهِدَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ فِي كُلِّ لَيَالِ شَهْرِ حَتَّى يَحْصُلُوا عَلَى فَضْلِ لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ وَفَضْلِ قِيَامِ الشَّهْرِ فَيَشْتَمِعُ لَهُمَا فَضِيلَتَانِ فَضِيلَةُ قِيَامِ الشَّهْرِ كُلِّهِ وَفَضِيلَةُ الْحُصُولِ عَلَى لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ فَمَنْ قَامَ كُلَّ لَيَالِ رَمَضَانِ إِيمَانًا وَاحْتِسَابًا فَإِنَّهُ يَكُونُ قَدْ وَافَقَ لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ قَطْعًا So whoever prays every single night of Ramadan then he has definitely caught Laylatul Qadr somebody prays every single night of Ramadan, then that person has definitely caught Laylatul Qadr. So the companions, they used to give a lot of importance to Laylatul Qadr. They used to give a lot of importance to this issue. And they used to ask the Prophet ﷺ about Laylatul Qadr. لَكِنَّهُ لَمْ يُبَيِّنْ لَهُمْ مِنْ أَجْلٍ يَشْتَهِدُ فِي جَمِيعَ الْلِيَالِ But he did not clarify to them exactly when it is so that they would strive in all of the nights. Then a group of the companions, Jama'a min al-Sahaba, ra'aw fil manam annaha laylat sab'in wa ishreen. It mentions here that the Shaykh says some of the companions had a dream that it was on the 27th night itself. They had a dream that it was on the 27th night itself. A few of the companions, not just one. So a few of them had this dream. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I see that it appears all of you are having this vision in unification of it being the 27th night. In the other wording, they mentioned the final seven nights. So uh, strive on that night of the 27th. And this is one of the evidences indicating the possibility of the 27th night. It still doesn't mean definitely just because of the narration of them seeing the dream, it doesn't indicate definitely, certainly it's that night, but it's something that you strive for. Uh, and in some narrations, the Sheikh mentions how it says that it will be on the odd nights. So either the 21st, the 23rd, the 25th, the 27th, or the 29th. Uh, and it doesn't have to be on the same night every year. So imagine it's the 23rd night last year, it could end up the 29th night this year, maybe the 27th night next year, maybe the 21st night the year after that. It can alternate around, it doesn't have to be that it's a fixed night every year. It can alternate around when that occurs. And also, one of the points some of the scholars they mention is that you can't definitely work out which the odd nights are and which the even nights are. Because right now, we worked out today is the 7th of Ramadan. So tonight is the 8th night of Ramadan. After Maghrib tonight, we're going to be in the 8th night of Ramadan. So next Sunday, we're going to be in the 15th night of Ramadan. Monday next week is going to be, or the week after, I mean in nine days. Monday will be the 16th night of Ramadan. Tuesday will be the 17th night. Wednesday will be the 18th night. Thursday will be the 19th night. Friday will be the 20th night. 
Saturday will be the 21st night. 21st night, the first of the odd nights of the last 10. Saturday in two weeks time roughly. So then Monday and then Tuesday will be the 23rd. Wednesday, Thursday will be the 25th. Friday, Saturday will be the 27th. Monday after that will be the 29th. And that's why it's possible Eid can be on a Tuesday. According to our schedules this year, Eid could be on a Tuesday. Or it could be on a Wednesday. If we carry on and Tuesday ends up as the 30th night. Let's say Tuesday is Eid. So we end up with only up to the 29th night. Next day will be the 29th day of Sha'ban. If the moon is seen, the next night is the night of Eid now. It's the night of the first of Shawwal. So we ended up at 29 nights, 29th. But if that's the case, 29th night, 28th night, 27th night, 26th night, 25th night, 24th night, 23rd night, 22nd night, 21st night, 20th night. The night of the 20th comes before the day of the 20th. So that's not in the last 10. Which means we've only ended up with 9 nights out of the last 10. Is that possible? You'll have to think about this maths afterwards if you're not working it out yet. But that means we only got nine nights out of the last ten because the moon was seen on the 29th. We never got the final night of the 10th, which would have been the night of the 30th. We never got it because the moon was seen. So we only got nine nights out of the last ten. Some scholars have said that's impossible. You have to have the last ten nights. You can't just have nine nights. But if the moon is seen on the 29th, we miss the 30th night. They say in that situation then, what actually happens is, some of the scholars have mentioned, you count backwards. So if on the 29th day of, Sha- of Ramadan, moon is seen, so we've missed out on the 30th night. There is none, it's the, it's the first night of Shawwal now. In that case, that previous night, which we thought was the 29th night, actually now classes as the 30th night and you start working backwards which means now the 20th night which was technically outside of the last 10 when we first worked it out going forwards has now ended up coming into the final 10 so that's why this got and if that happens if that happens all of the nights we first worked out to be odd nights are therefore going to now end up as even nights and that's why you can't just start working off from where we started Ramadan. That's an easy, easy mathematics. From where we started Ramadan, you can work out where the odd nights are going to be. But if we only end up with 29 days of Ramadan, then it's possible that all the odd nights you worked out change over to becoming even nights. That's why the scholars say, you can't just focus on this night or that night. You're supposed to focus on every single night of Ramadan. Every single night of Ramadan you're supposed to focus on it. So it's not about trying to just pick the 27th as many people do or pick this night or that night. 
you try and strive in all of the nights of Ramadan to try and ensure that you catch Laylatul Qadr. There is another narration here. An Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. He mentions uh, that the Prophet said about the night of decree, it is Laylatul Sabi'in wa Ishreen. It is the 27th night. But that narration is from the companion, not the Prophet ﷺ. So one of the companions was certain that it's got to be that night, his ijtihad, etc. It's not the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. Then Aisha radiallahu anha, she says, قُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ عَلِمْتُ أَيَّ لَيْلَةٍ لَيْلَةَ الْقَدْرِ مَا أَقُولُ فِيهَا she said, if I know what night Laylatul Qadr is, what should I read that night? What supplications, what du'as am I supposed to read? The Prophet ﷺ said, say, Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni. Oh Allah, you are the one who loves to pardon. You are the, the one who pardons and loves to pardon, so pardon me and forgive me. Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afwa fa'fu anni. So this is the du'a that the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, uh, regarding the dua that can be recited or should be recited on Laylatul Qadr. Final hadith mentioned in this chapter, hadith of Abu Sa'id in Al-Khudri, the Prophet said, لا تشد الرحال إلا إلى ثلاثة مساجد. Al-Masjid al-Haram, al-Masjid al-Masjid al-Aqsa. That you can't make an intention and set out on a journey to visit any mosque except three. Al-Masjid al-Haram, al-Masjid al-Nabawi, and al-Masjid al-Aqsa. This narration, some of the scholars also connect it to some other narrations and come to a conclusion, some scholars come to a conclusion, that i'tikaf can only be done in those three mosques. That's an opinion of some scholars. I'tikaf can only be done in al-Masjid al-Nabawi, in the Haram in Mecca, Masjid al-Haram, and Masjid al-Aqsa. Only those three you can do i'tikaf, and there's no i'tikaf in these other mosques. That's an opinion. But the majority of the scholars, their opinion is any mosque it's permissible to do i'tikaf in. But the narration here tells us you're not purposely allowed to go and visit a mosque for the sake of the mosque, uh, except these three mosques. You do not travel out or journey out in specific to other than these three mosques. That brings us to the end of that section. And uh, the only section left is what types of fasting you can do after Ramadan finishes. And that section, inshallah, will cover it next week. Uh, what to do after Ramadan finishes. Uh, what are you supposed to do for the rest of the year? What type of fasting is permissible, isn't permissible? There are certain days of the year it's haram to fast. So those types of things now, outside of Ramadan and fasting, when to, when not to, those discussions we'll have next week, inshallah ta'ala, in the final lesson. So we'll round off on that for tonight. Any questions or anything to add? I have no idea. What is a pension? How does it work? What do you get? You put money in an investment 
kind of uh, asset and uh, the, com the, com the company that you work with. They're going to pay it out to you when? When you're retired. When you're an old man, inshallah. So, Allah, the only thing I suppose, because right now, do they give you any figures? Do they give you anything? How much you've got right yeah, now in so your. You, you contribute a certain percentage of the salary and they. they uh, and you, uh, so you put in £100. Yeah, yeah, but. So you know that figure. And it's pretty much similar to your investment um, as you would do in shares and stock. So you know that figure. So as you're going along, yeah. you know how much is building up for you. Yeah. To eventually get, yeah. mm. I don't know. I don't know if uh, the ruling would that be. We'll have to check because it's not guaranteed. If you die, what happens then? Yeah, um, your next of kin gets it. Next of kin gets it then. It's, it's your money, pretty much. It's not okay. I don't know. We'll have to look into that then. Pensions and uh, that type of investment, and how the zakat is worked out. I haven't come across it. I've never looked into that. What about if you borrow someone some money for? If you lend somebody some money, some scholars say you still have to give the zakat on it. Others, they say you only have to give the zakat on it if that person is able to pay it back there and then. Imagine now I lent you 10,000 pounds and uh, you've got the money now, but we just haven't bothered to organize it to get it back off you, whatever. I'm not in a rush to get it back. You've got the money though. It's ready. It's there. We just haven't bothered to organize things and to transfer it and to do whatever else. So right now, at any time, I could say to you, okay, tomorrow let's meet up and do it, and we could do it. So I have access to my money back at any time. In that case, even if I haven't got it back off you yet, some scholars say in that situation, I have to give the zakat on it, because it's there, available to me, I have access to it any time. You can pay it back to me any time, we just haven't bothered to do it yet. So it's, it's, it's mine, it's my, my money which I have access to right now. They say in the other opinion... Well, in the same opinion, if you don't have access to it, then you don't have to give it. So if I've given you 10,000, for example, and you have nothing, no ability to pay it back to me yet. So I don't have access to that money. I can't get it off you. So some scholars say in that case, you don't have to pay zakat on that. You don't have access to it. But uh, perhaps the safest opinion scholars do mention, if you've given a debt, a loan to somebody, that's still your money. And it's a loan, which means you are going to get it back. And that's the intention. The intention is you are going to get it back at some point. So it's still considered as your cash and you still give zakat on it. What about the person that's received it and they pay zakat on it even though they're going to give it back? The person who's received it, it depends because that person is more than likely now he in debt. He's not actually in credit of any money. He's in debt with all of that money. So his situation probably easier. But the one who's given the money has that finance, has the riches... That's still his money, he's going to get it back, that's the intention. So some scholars say he still gives a cut on it. Hmm. Children should give a cut on it. Oh, children, yeah. Um, uh, most of the scholars say because zakat isn't about who it's coming from, it's purely about the money and the, and the, the actual uh, wealth. So imagine a child now, his parents are rich or, or his family members are rich. You have a child now, for example, you have lots of family members, the child's uncles, aunties, grandparents, and they're always filling up his account with money. They're always giving him gifts every couple of months, 100 pounds, 1,000 pounds, and he's got 20,000 pounds built up in his account, he's only 12 years old. So most of the scholars, they say, you have to give zakat on his account. Because regardless of him only being 10 years old, 9 years old, he's not responsible for zakat himself. 
But the money, the responsibility of the zakat is on the money, not the individual. So that money is there. It's in his account. Okay, he isn't responsible for it. But the money is there and the zakat is a responsibility upon wealth. So many scholars say in that kind of scenario we just explained there, you should give it on that 20,000 or whatever the child has too. Others, of course, they say no, but the child, he's below the age of puberty yet, therefore these obligations are not upon him at all. So you shouldn't have to give it, an opinion. But others, they say it's not about that. It's about the wealth. The wealth is there. He's got that much wealth in his account. Regardless of who he is, he's got all that wealth there. The obligation of zakat is about wealth. Taking that percentage from the wealth and giving it, whosoever it is. So even the child's take that small percentage, if he's got 10,000, 20,000, take that few hundred small percentage and give it in the zakat. No, it's not a condition that it has to be in Ramadan. It can be done after Ramadan. You can give it all in one go after Ramadan. One, one bulk amount straight after Ramadan, send it somewhere, they buy the food, they give it out, it can be done. It's not a condition, it has to be done in Ramadan. Yes, yeah. Why do I have to pay zakat during Ramadan? What about, uh, the, what about the rest of the year? What no, the zakat, you only pay it once a year. The zakat is once a year. Yeah. Ramadan, most people do it because of convenience. No, you just, give zakat any time of the year? No, you give charity for the rest of the year. Oh, if you want to give money for the rest of the year. But your zakat, which is the obligation, is once a year. Is that, people, is that set on one day? Somebody was no, no, no. Any time of the year. Any time of the year. People set it for Ramadan because of convenience. Yeah. Ramadan, you remember, plus the just Ramadan, the barakah and everything. Everybody yeah. does it in Ramadan. Yeah. But uh, any time, once a year. Once a year. All right, we'll conclude upon that tonight. Next week, inshallah, ta'ala, we'll finish off the last section. <laughs>